0: good evening everyone um, <clears throat> where shall we start <laughs> we did I, I pastored a church in Glasgow for 12 years and we did end times once and we did it extensively probably about 12 weeks in detail and to tell you the truth there was very little there was very little change in the lives of the people there was a lot of knowledge gained but I don't know if God's that impressed with that I'll never forget that and i did it again same series actually about three years later some changes but there was not a lot of change in the people and then another four or five years went by and one really experienced leader who i trust a lot came to me and said you should do that end times thing again and i thought what three times are you kidding me The same. You, you really should but lo and behold you'll never guess what everybody changed the people changed and you know what the difference was the difference was actually 2008 the financial crash prior to that time the times had been good and when people are having good times when they're happy I find that they don't really want to hear about end times even though they we're in end times, they don't want to know about that. When I've got money in the bank and my marriage is good and there's peace in my country and blah, 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 they weren't that interested. But once the financial crash hit, suddenly people started thinking and remembering things they had heard in the past. Remember Y2K, most of you, I think, are old enough to remember that. There was a theory that the world was going to, excuse me, that the world was going to end In the year 2000 and a lot of people around that time started to get interested in end times because they're thinking well I don't want to die and go to hell I need to remind myself what it was all about and it's really ironic for me it was a spike of interest in this subject for me in 2008 a spike around the year 2000 and this is the third spike in interest that I've found I've been requested to do this teaching. I'm not imposing it on you. Several people have asked me to do that, okay? And I know why. (laughs) Because we are in a huge time of signs, enormous signs happening in the world, and it's very understandable. I do a lot of media, as you know, but I experienced an enormous, probably the biggest spike in downloads i've ever experienced in in february march april and may Uh, this year i was quite shocked at that actually about how fast people ran to to to, to try and confirm Mm -hmm. am i right am i wrong is the world ending they were frightened for their salvation now in some ways that's good but what surprised me was by about october the, the levels of viewings and downloads had gone back almost to normal. <laughs> Funny how fickle people are. They kind of ran in thinking, well, if it's going to end, if the world's going to end, then I better get ready. And then they thought, well, it's not going to end until next year. We've got a vaccine now. So I'm off, you know. So be careful, guys. When you're studying end times, I prefer to keep this as a permanent fixture in my interest, a permanent fixture in what I am aware of in the world in terms of the news and the elements I I follow uh, and not something that's a fashion or a fad or an ambulance, an emergency response to what I see happening in the world. So where do you begin with end times? I I, I have a a very strong opinion on this. Uh, from experience because like many people I was getting nowhere with the topic uh, until I could see the big picture and I, I, I would strongly advise you take your time and be patient until you see the big picture of history and end times and what's happening and that will help you in more ways than I could ever mention so be patient with yourself and understand I think this subject needs foundations as well as looking forward which is Fine, it's pertinent. But we also need to look back. One day, when the disciples were with Jesus, they pleaded with him about something. They said, Lord, tell us what the signs will be. Tell us what's going to happen in and around the last days. Tell us what the signs will be. Tell us what's going to happen. And in some ways, some of the members in LFC have been saying to me, Tell us what you think of these signs. I've had what few text messages today just on that point what do you think these signs mean what is happening in the world please guide me and help me so for about three years i used to drive from glasgow to london and from london to glasgow and when you leave london you don't see a sign for glasgow you don't even see a sign for scotland actually When you leave London, all you see is a very general sign, North. You're going North. And you get on the M6 after a while, and you can put your car in cruise control. There's no rush, is there? I'm going a long way, so don't panic. So you put your car in cruise control, you just chill. If you want to pull over and go somewhere, you might pull over in a town on the way up, stop at a service station, etc, etc. Because there's no rush. This is a long journey. There's no emergency. And the situation remains that, like that for miles and miles and miles and miles. And then all of a sudden, you see a sign saying Scotland. And then I know I'm closer than I was. I know that something's behind me and something, something's changed here. And very quickly, actually, once you get beyond Preston and you start heading towards Carlisle, you very quickly come up to a fork in the road, a decision you have to make, right? Are, are, are you going here or are you going there? Are you going to the north of England or are you still going to go to Scotland? Where are you going? And the signs become, they start to increase and the signs start to put more and more decisions upon me. Where's your destiny? What's your decision? Make your choice. And then as you get into Glasgow city, You can forget cruise control because it's behind you now. Now the changes are very quick. Now I'm going left, turning right. And I've got to keep my eye on the road or I'm going to get very lost very quickly. And that is a really good picture of the history of the church, of, of time, and how the church can be lulled into cruise control and forget that the signs are so big that the situation is so clear. I tell you, no one will ever say to God, you didn't give me a sign. (laughs) You won't say that. We have had the biggest signs you could ever dream of. There's gonna be signs in the sky, signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. What else do you want? The signs are immense before us. But if you don't watch the signs and you don't make your choices appropriately, those bad choices, you know what happens? You end up in the wrong place. You took the wrong exit. You didn't heed the sign. And motorways are terrible for doing that. And once you take an exit that you shouldn't have taken because you weren't paying attention, you end up in the wrong place. And then you end up with wasted time, wasted years. And you have to try and figure out your way back. And, of course, some people never come back. Some people get lost. And I don't mean geographically. So are, are there signs? Yeah, there's enormous signs. The Apostle Paul said, watch out for this because it will be like childbirth. You know, a woman has her first trimester, second trimester, third trimester. They're not the same. The journey is not the same. The signs begin to change and they become very clear. And as in that first trimester, it's completely different from the third trimester. There's far more pain. There's far more pain. And in 2020, we've probably had the world in more pain than we've ever had in history. Whilst there have been localized wars and localized pain. But for the first time, certainly in my lifetime, and for many generations, this has been a global pain. A global contraction. And the Apostle Paul, if I can paraphrase him, he said, you just keep your eye out for that third trimester. (laughs) When you start seeing the earth groaning with pain because the sons of God are just about to be revealed the church is just about to be birthed Christ is just about to return so for me that's a big sign the second big sign that I see is I see a very clear harlot church a false church And scripture's crystal clear on this. I'll talk about it maybe in weeks to come. There's the bride of Christ. Those who are born again and under the authority of proper counsel and structure. And then there's the harlot church. They could well be saved at this time. They could well have Bibles, etc, etc. It's a misconception to think the harlot church is out there and we're in here and we're the real church. That's Some of the harlot church is out there, but some of the harlot church is in here. Okay, there are many deceivers among us, among us, and they become apostate eventually. So I see this happening today. I see it very, very clearly, and I see that as a sign of the end. Another sign of the end. The lawlessness that's happening around the world, to me, is shocking. I'm always shocked at this, Um, when you looked at what was happening in France, and the outright disrespect for authority and I look at what's happening in America and in other countries around the world and it's, it's even more than disrespect it's hatred it's hatred of any rulership any law no one will govern me autonomous zone no rulership no king no lord sound familiar The Apostle Paul and Jesus list these things. When you see lawlessness increase and abound, Revelation chapter 9 also, giving the sequential approach there that John so clearly lays out, it's signs on my left, signs on my right, signs above, signs below. How foolish I would be to ignore them. Another sign, false teachers. Paul said false teachers will abound in the last days. So here's a question, a rhetorical question it in your head. What does the devil want to do in the end times? What does the devil want to do in the end times? You know what he wants to do? He wants to teach. He wants to teach and he wants to preach. He wants to teach in your cell group. He wants to preach in your church. Now, Paul talks about this. He calls it false teachers. Teachers got, you know, qualifications, right? False teachers who come among you. And they want to, to, just as they have been deceived, they, they come to deceive you. So be very careful. The devil wants to come and present himself as someone who's hearing from God and wants to guide you but be very very aware um it's referred to as doctrines of demons teachings of demons that's what a doctrine is a teaching so be very careful i am immensely particular on this issue be very careful who teaches in lfc we're incredibly fussy with our pulpit and i'm very very happy with our preacher preaching teams and leaders they're just fantastic you guys are excellent and they, Standard is good here. Let's keep it that way. So I would say to you, for heaven's sake, read the signs like that motorway journey. You're going to have to get in lane. Very early on before the junctions come and before it's time for you to, to follow through with your choice, you will see many signs saying, get in lane. Make your mind up. Are you going that way or that making your mind up time? Now, if you hesitate with that get in lane business, you can't be presumptuous that later you're gonna have the opportunity. I'm sure we've all done that. You leave it too late and then you can't get across. You leave it too late and the cars surrounding you, the company that you've been sticking with, they're taking you off and you can't get out of it. They're affecting you. You should have changed lanes. You knew the right lane you were you were slow for whatever reason not wanting to make those perhaps expensive costly changes read the signs get in lane and then get ready for the exit and take it when it comes another sign busyness and travel will increase ironically travels decreased this year by 80 percent or something like that But prior to the pandemic, goodness, heavens above. The airports, I travel an enormous amount and you just see the sheer traffic of people around this planet is phenomenal. Daniel warned us, you will know it's the end because busyness is just, people are just going to be rushed off their feet with busyness and knowledge is going to be bursting. Such knowledge in the world and that's completely true. And last sign just, by way of introduction, so we get some context, the name of Jesus being extremely contested in our whatever, in our schools, our hospitals, our churches, on media. They just don't want to hear the name of Jesus. So there, is, there are countless, countless signs that these are the last days. And I would say to you, you may well have got away with being in cruise control for quite some time. I don't think you can continue that way and I would advise you with great urgency to make your choice, get in lane and then stay in the lane and stay with grip onto that steering wheel with all your might because it might get a bit rocky around here when we come to the end of that third trimester and those waters break. You know those situations, they're chaotic situations and sorry but that's what's predicted. That's what we know is coming up. That's what we know is ahead. Jesus was never a flowery preacher who told people what they wanted to hear. The good news is this. You know what the good news is? You were going to hell. And now you can go to heaven. That's the good news. Without the hell bit, it's not good news. So you need to realise what good news is. The good news is Every human being was destined to hell because of the fall of mankind. But because of Jesus Christ, you can turn to him and be saved. Why do we study end times? In 1 John, it tells us, 1 John 3.3, it says this, anyone who has this hope begins to purify himself. Now, I repeat what I said about the church in Glasgow. I I, I taught that enormously for like the first year, but nobody's listening. Nobody's changing. Nobody's purifying themselves because they didn't believe it was the end. Cruise control, we're a long way, it's a long way away. And then with the financial crisis, uh, suddenly the perspective changed and suddenly people quickly get in lane, quickly (laughs) get in lane, move, move, move. Whoever has this hope purifies himself hope of salvation, hope of being raptured, hope of going to heaven, not hell, hope of getting that exit. That's the hope. So why should we study end times? Because it gives us hope as we understand the big picture. It causes us to purify ourselves and cling on to God, secure our salvation, if I can put it that way. That's why we should study end times and also being aware that we can tell our families, our friends and the nations that Christ is at the door and we need to get ready for that return. So I'll start, we're going to look at this topic for about four weeks or so. I I thought a very good place to start is, as I say, the big picture. I I always use the example of a jigsaw puzzle. I think it's a good way to see things. If I bring a 20,000 piece jigsaw puzzle and I put all the pieces on the floor in your house and I walk away with the box and you never see the picture. That's a very confused situation. The Bible's a bit like that. (laughs) You can put all the verses on the floor and people end up picking out one verse and somebody else picks out another verse and then they argue about the verses because they don't know where the verses fit and the arguments can come from insecurity. (coughs) So seeing that box for me is incredibly important because then when I pick up my individual, ah, I know what that is, I know what this means, I know what this prophecy means, I know what this guidance means. So don't rush in this sense, at this point of the study, get a very firm grip on the big picture because it will benefit you later with the individual pieces that you come across. For me, there are three major scriptures that end times hang on for me. The first one is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23 and verse 37, all the way through to chapter 24 and say about verse 8. I'll read it to you. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. So there's God wanting something and not getting it, right? (laughs) Not getting his way. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again. That's the second coming. So Jesus here is talking about the second coming. For I tell you, you're not going to see me again. I'm not coming back until you learn to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus was prophesying there then, when you start to see Jews calling on the name of Jesus Christ as Messiah, this is a sign of the end times. I'll skip down to chapter 24, verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will all this happen? And what will the signs be of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. This is an immense point for me. Deception being the biggest issue on the mind of Jesus. Deceivers are going to gather around you. Deceivers are going to try and mislead you. Be very careful. It's not the earthquakes. It's not the pandemics. It's not the wars. It's not the famines. They're all there. Tell us what the problem is. The problem is deceivers among you who are going to try and lead you astray. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many are going to come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many, many. You will hear of the wars and the rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation, um, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. So I, I really like that obviously the whole of Matthew chapter 24 is a is a highly significant chapter and you can read it in your own time and there's a multitude of, of studies you can do because it's very very holistic in its approach and description of end times prophecy and happenings. Uh, that's the first scripture that I think is very important. The second scripture that I think is critical and key, is Acts chapter 16 and verse six. The Apostle Paul, like all of us, he loved his own people. You know, you love Sri Lanka, you love Cape Verde, you love Ghana, you love the Philippines, I love Ireland. There's nothing wrong with that, it's perfectly understandable. Acts chapter 16, verse six, Paul wants to go in and around his, his people. He wants to reach out to the, to the area in, w- in which he's living. God didn't want that. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Perga and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. Look at that. The word of God in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not let them. So they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. And during the night... Paul had a vision of a man of Europe, Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I don't know if you've been to Istanbul. I, I spent a month there once and dr- dr- straight through the middle of the city is a massive river called the Bosphorus, a very famous river. And on one side of that river is Asia. And on the other side of that river is Europe. And Istanbul considers itself to be the crossroads of the world. And here, very, very close to this place, we see Paul. Until this point, the gospel has largely been an Asian thing, a Jewish thing in and around this region. But God was making a massive change, a huge change. So he speaks to Paul in Asia and he even shows him in the distance, you see Europe on the far side, that's where you're going, enough. And in some ways, it's the prophetic plan, but in some ways, it's also judgment of the crucifixion of Christ and in some large part, the rejection of the gospel that took place within Israel and the surrounding countries and peoples of that time. They rejected, okay, take it elsewhere like the banquet. I put a huge banquet on. If they don't want it, go and bring them in from the highways and the byways. And so God sent Paul to his surprise straight in to Europe. And this was the beginning of the gospel going west. And what a beginning it was. If you go west, as Paul did, he very quickly ended up in Rome. And we, and, and, uh, the, the the story initially is a very bloody story of immense persecution and martyrdom for many where people were, the, the cruelties done are unspeakable. However, the outcome was the Roman Catholic Church and indeed many, many millions of people got saved across Europe over those years. So Paul's initial uh, impact was very, very painful for Christians, but in the end, it was incredibly effective. If you remember in the Old Testament, when the Jews had the Ark of the Covenant, they were the superpower. No one could defeat them, they were undefeatable. As long as they had the Ark, they couldn't be touched, powerful. And if anybody tried to take it off them, those people would get in trouble, they had to give it back, take it away. This belongs to God's people and God's people only. But that very, the presence of the ark caused them to be the superpower. And what you see, the ark is gone. That's an Old Testament facility. And what we have now is we've got born again Christians with the gospel given to them by God. The gospel of the kingdom. And this is almost a, a very similar thing to the ark. And when Israel had that, they were no one could defeat them. How amazing. And when Paul moved with that gospel, wherever he moved, wherever the gospel landed, those nations became, phenomenally, actually, the superpower on the face of the Earth. And the first one was the Roman Empire. Uh, in one sense, we can be very critical of Europe because they martyred Peter and Paul, but I wouldn't be so critical. I would be very complimentary, to be honest, in retrospect, because the Europeans absolutely embraced Christianity. They embraced it, they embraced it wholeheartedly. There's a thing called Christendom. Christendom means the combination of church and state. When the government of a country combines itself with the church, with Christianity, that's called Christendom. And many of the European nations entered into that, where the government and the kings would work together with the church. Now, there was a lot of errors within that. I, 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 I fully understand that. But nonetheless, Europe completely embraced this, and the Roman Empire and many other, many empires rose up across Europe because the gospel was there. The gospel was there. Let's think of Reinhard Bonnke in my head right now. <laughs> what a powerful man! And what, what was what was the seat of that power because he was preaching the gospel he was preaching the gospel and when you're preaching the gospel devils flee mountains are flattened that's what history teaches us and when the gospel ri- arrived into rome europe just embraced it and europe became a powerhouse for missions now unfortunately the creation of the roman catholic church had two phases there was an emperor called constantine who apparently got saved i don't know you don't know we don't know that but anyway he gave great liberty to christianity and however he did bring in to christianity many pagan traditions many pagan feasts and festivals and all that we ended up with christmas trees easters priests and all sorts of stuff so it was a good legacy but also a bastardized legacy to a great degree because paganism and Christianity combined uh, to form the Catholic Church. Um, a, A Pope called Gregory the Great followed Constantine a couple of hundred years later and he formalized a lot of that into what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church. And it's important you see, to see the big picture, it's important you understand that that was not a pure version of Christianity. The Roman Catholic Church's version of Christianity was for me and i say this humbly and i say it with respect for catholics i'm not shooting anybody here um but it was severely compromised with other faiths and paganism and what this did is it caused the ark as it were the gospel to move for the for the second time first with israel second with rome the third move came and that was the evangelicals the emergence of those who wanted to go back to basics why are we following the traditions of rome i'm not italian hello (laughs) why are we following the traditions of 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 a pope shouldn't we be following the bible this is the big difference between a catholic the definition of a roman catholic is someone who follows the teachings of the roman catholic church the definition of a christian is someone who follows the teaching of jesus christ so these are very different things don't get confused they have the same foundation we don't have the same foundation And so many people rose up against that. And the the gospel continued to move ever further west, just as God had said to Paul. And we began to see the emergence of many people protesting, protesters, Protestants. And the most eminent of those was Martin Luther, who was a Catholic. But Luther began to see the corruption Uh, this sheer debauchery within the Catholic Church, the indulgences and all the things that happened at that time and still do today in some countries. And so the protesters, the Protestants, which are your forefathers, (laughs) they began to pull away from the Catholic Church. Many people were martyred at this time, but in this time the ark, the gospel, once again began to move ever further west and we had the birth of the baptists the anabaptists the the Huguenots, the puritans luther calvin all of those people in and around this time and also great revivals great great revivals taking place but isn't it sad that the gospel was almost kicked out of asia then kicked out of central europe then kicked out of western europe And when you're kicked out of Mainland Western Europe, where are you going to go? United Kingdom. That's right. (laughs) And so Britain became the superpower. And Britain became one of the greatest historical custodians of the Gospel. I'm not saying that because I'm from Belfast. I'm actually Irish. (laughs) I consider myself Irish. But I'm just telling the truth historically. Britain were fantastic with the Gospel. And that's a statistical fact. They were amazing. Really mission-minded nation. And the British Empire was underpinned by the gospel in this nation. That's the truth. Once God wanted to get that out and he prospered the nation and he used it. To expand the teaching of Christianity all over this world. And then we had the consolidation of many of the big faiths. Methodism, Presbyterianism in Scotland. Once again, the Puritans. However, there were many persecutions of fundamentalists like you and I. There were many persecutions. And again, people did not feel free. So they felt the burden to keep on moving and to find a land where they could express their faith. So they got in a boat <laughs> called the Mayflower and they sailed from Liverpool actually, a man called Richard Mather and they went off to it the, the, the Puritans went off to America to create a society that would be Bible based, a society that would, would, would live under God's rule, even, even you know God's names on their money on every dollar bill until recently. in God we trust. And they were the founding fathers of the United States of America. However, I'm a very pro-American person. I've had nothing but good from Americans in my life. I tell you, they've been very kind to me. However, the gospel greatly prospered in America. Who became the superpower? They became the superpower. And they became the superpower once again because they held the gospel and they prospered that gospel all over the world. However. Just look at the last 80 years or whatever in America. Look at how Israel has been treated, etc. And you will see how the mighty have fallen. And what we see today is a very, very poor image of what once was in terms of any adherence to faith or adherence to biblical values or doctrines. And so the gospel began to move ever further west, right across America. And I'm 56. So as I have been alive on this earth, imagine that. There's a statement. The gospel has moved out of the states and infiltrated China. We're almost back home, right? We're almost back in Israel. The prophecy is almost over. Almost finished. So it it moves into China and I have many friends, personal close friends who are leaders in the underground church in China. And I can tell you of huge revivals within China. They they estimate somewhere between 20,000 and 35,000 people a day, a day get saved in the underground church in China. And one friend of mine has thousands and thousands of pastors. So the gospel is very active in the world and it's still moving. Now, take a look here, guys. Look at this. Map of the world. So if I go back to the beginning, here's Israel and God speaks to Paul in Israel, go west. Now, remember the prophecy. This is important. Matthew's gospel, Jesus begins by telling me, listen, the gospel's going to go around the whole world and then I'm going to come back. So Paul moves out, moves into Europe, we end up in Rome, we come across to Western Europe, we come into the UK, we go right across the Atlantic, we come into the United States, move across the states through the Bible Belt, now we come across to China, we end up in Japan, Korea, biggest churches in the world today are in Korea, biggest Presbyterian churches in Korea, biggest Pentecostal churches in Korea. Biggest Methodist churches in Korea. So, this, this, this powerhouse has moved across massive church in China. Myself and Roy Varghese were with the underground church people, leaders for the Middle East. So, all the Middle Eastern countries, we traveled to a country. I won't name the group and I won't name the, the, the meeting that we attended for the protection of those leaders. But they were telling us, the leaders, about massive revivals in Iran. In fact, some of the stories were, were wonderful. To, st- to see thousands and thousands of people in Saudi Arabia, in Iraq, in Iran, in the Middle East, things you will never see on the television, the gospel that Jesus sent the Apostle Paul out with, promising this is going to go right around the world. And when you see it come back to Israel, you will know that the end is near. Now. I don't know if if, if if we need a bigger sign. Take a look at this. This little hand is Israel. And this big hand is Jesus Christ. The first people that Jesus came to were the Jews. The first shall be last. And the last shall be first. And Jesus came first to his own, but his own did not receive him. And so he sent Paul with the gospel into Rome, across Germany and Geneva, with your Luthers and your Calvins, through to the UK, across America, right across China, into Korea, through the Middle East. And guess where we are now? (laughs) We're just right back in Israel. And this, uh, who was it, Peter Chukuhiro from, from Japan, he wrote a book called God's Tsunami. And that is a brilliant way of describing it because it is a tsunami. Because the, the tsunami pulls out the tide and then it rushes it back in, into the same place. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. The first people to receive this gospel were indeed the people of Israel. And the last people to receive this gospel are indeed the people of Israel. And the gospel is right back where it started. It's ironic in 2002, we saw one of the greatest national uh, disasters in the world, the, the, the tsunami. That was immense. Do you remember that? That was absolutely huge. 250,000 people died. And the irony is, at the very time when that tsunami hit that region... At that very moment, the powerhouse of the gospel was right there. (laughs) Right in that place. Right moving across that place. Now, I'm not saying God caused the tsunami. But I do believe there's connections there. Do you know when Jesus died, there was an earthquake? Remember? When Jesus rose from the dead, there was an earthquake. Yeah, two. One when he died, one when he rose. And I believe, as Jesus come back... Jesus returns to the planet, there's a few shakes taking place. Not just with earthquakes, with pandemics, with signs galore. Now I've listed seven or eight signs tonight, but there's signs and there's signs, right? There's signs and then there's the sign. And when they were talking to Jesus, this is kind of the way he put it. There are many signs. But there is one big, big, big sign. Israel. Once Israel are back in their land, it happened in 1948. When you see Israel return to their land, you will know that the end is near. Now, remember the Jews when they were sitting by the the rivers of Babel, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, and we wept when we remembered zion they were not weeping because they weren't in their homeland not for the first reason anyway they were weeping because the messiah can't come unless they're in their homeland they were crying because as long as they were out of israel the christ cannot come they wanted to get back into israel so that the messiah could come and that's why they were weeping and the jews were kicked out of that region in AD 70 and you know from AD 70 to 1948 if i had been preaching in 1940 i would have i would have preached that it is impossible for christ to return it's impossible can't happen because the jews need to have their nation back and in 1948 as you live they've got their nation back and really From this moment on, everything changes. The responsibilities just escalate beyond measure. The responsibilities on you and the responsibilities on me. What is my response going to be to this sign? What am I going to do about it? I'm going to ignore it and just drift in the wrong lane? Or am I going to realize the immense trust that God has put in me? The favour and the grace that is upon me to live at this moment and maximise the gospel to my people, but to the nations of the world. Get in lane, folks. Get in the right lane. I wouldn't blame people for say, saying, where do I fit in all this? Very nice story, Pastor Mike, but I happen to be from Africa <laughs> and you didn't mention Africa. Very nice story, Pastor Mike, but you never mentioned Columbia. Hello. You never mentioned Columbia. You never mentioned Australia. So I mentioned three scriptures on which I believe prophecy hangs on. Matthew, incredibly important. Matthew 24, Acts chapter 16, where Paul is sent west and the gospel has traveled the nations. And the last scripture for me is Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6, a prophecy about the end times. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6 see I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents otherwise I would come and destroy the earth and for me that's a critical scripture for the nations I I could use, for example, when the gospel came to the United Kingdom, the fathers in the United Kingdom took the gospel to China. C.T. Stud, China Inland Mission, enormously successful operation. So he's the father and they're the children. And scripture prophesies here. The Chinese could say, well, you didn't mention me much. In the last days, God will take these. Our church here in London was formed by people from Singapore. Hello. (laughs) One of the biggest church planting churches in the world. All over the world. Fulfillment of prophecy, I tell you. In the last days, God will take the seeds that you sowed. I want you to see where you fit. I want you to see how you fit into this. Same thing in Africa. Many, many British missionaries died in Africa. Many. David Livingston. Probably the most famous. They buried his heart. They took his heart out and they buried it in Scotland. You know that? Africa was greatly reached by many nations, but Europeans, particularly, evangelized Africa. And now in these last days, the Europeans were the fathers, these are the children. And in the last days, the prophecy is this, I will take the children and I'm going to move them into Europe. I'm going to take the hearts of those children and give them a heart for their father's land. But many can't see it they can't see where they fit they can't see what they're supposed to do i was at a tv meeting in london a a meeting with people with christian television programs in uh, park lane here in london with the cirillos you know Marisolo, david cirillo and in the room there was two white people everybody else was black (laughs) so i was sitting there And the other white guy was sitting beside me, I know him very well, he's a producer. And he turned to me, I looked around the room, I thought, well here we go, this is just typical. And Mark turned to me and he said, Hey Mike, you know when we get to heaven, I know where I'm going to find you. You'll be with all the black guys. (laughs) I said, well actually, Mark, you see what's happening in this room is a disgrace to me. Because these guys have come into Europe Right, Most of them are in the UK. But they've formed mostly all black churches. It's not a criticism. It's an observation. I think we're missing it a little bit. Because the hearts of these children were supposed to come back for the lands of the fathers where they came from. They should really be in international churches. But they haven't perceived their role in history. They haven't, se- they haven't listened to the prophecy. Disrespecting prophecy. I like to see where I fit. I like to know my place. I believe that prophecy is there to help me. He who has this hope within himself purifies himself. He who sees this, you'll begin to act on it. So I would say to you, build a heart for, your, for the nation you're living in, for the European nation. Build a heart for the nations around you, the communities around you. Fulfill your prophetic destiny. The power of the gospel can be with you. So don't become overly culturalized. Don't become indulgent within your own culture. Hello. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God and you're part of this prophetic story. For me this is an enormous honor. And we're surrounded by blindness on this blindness on this issue. Tonight is just an introduction to what is an enormous topic, an enormous subject. And I'm gonna finish here. Tonight we looked at the big picture and we've seen how the gospel has indeed circumnavigated the entire globe and is now back where it started. We've seen how we are absolutely done. There's no more signs. No more signs. You gonna get in lane? You need to get in lane and prepare for the exit. So That's the big picture. Next week, I want to zoom in on the scenario that we find ourselves in today. The political, religious and economic uh, projections that we see. The prophecies we see and how they work out in the Antichrist. I'm going to deal with that next week. The week after, probably look at maintaining biblical ethics. In the last days, with our churches, our practices as Christians, etc., because scripture has a lot of warning about how these things can get affected. And in the last week, just look at judgment and heaven and hell and eternity and the rewards that Jesus spoke so much about. <laughs> Nobody talks much about rewards, do they, really, except Jesus? Jesus talked a lot about your focus should be conscious. Why are you not conscious of your eternal reward? What's wrong with you? Over and over, he told us that. And I wanna just draw that out. Actually, I've never, I don't think I've ever taught anything about that in LFC here. So we'll do that perhaps in our fourth week. I'm gonna conclude here. I'm gonna pray for us and then open up for questions right now. I, I wanna just, before I pray, can I just make one reiteration? Please don't ask me for knowledge. Don't ask me for knowledge. And if you came here tonight so that you could learn something, I almost feel a repentant heart. God wants this to change you. Not to puff you up. Knowledge puffs up. God wants to change you. three times in Glasgow I preached this and by the grace of God on the third occasion the church exploded because the people changed it wasn't just knowledge it was a transformation and it became radically evangelistic so please don't just seek knowledge knowledge has its place but change is very important so father I pray for us as a people that these truths and this awareness would change us profoundly. And like the apostles ran out of that upper room when they knew the power of the spirit was theirs, the the ark was theirs, the, the, the gospel was theirs, the power of the gospel was theirs. I pray that same inspirational experience to everybody who hears these words. Change us and help us to change everyone. We affect everyone in our world. Father, thank you for the understandings, but we pray that they will alter us and change our future. Help everybody get in lane tonight. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.